Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this latest game chat. Oh, my goodness. This has been six years in the making, people. <laughs> oh, by the way, welcome to the One Stop Call Shop podcast as well. So we have the video show and the podcast. If you're not aware of either platform, you can see this show on either one. Okay, so uh, six years in the making, six years ago today was my podcast debut, uh, Table for One, episode six. We covered the Oniverse at the time. And at the time, it was, I think it was this much of games. If you are um, on the podcast, I'm showing uh, Oniram, Sylveon, Castellion, and Erbion right there. Since then, we have gotten two more. We got Arion and Nautilion, and they still are in private place in my collection. So I've been an Oniverse fan for six years. I have played through the one-stop co-op shop, all that stuff. I'm embarrassing this man right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, um, it has been my pleasure uh, to get to know a little bit this man. We're going to have a conversation today. He is the designer of the Oniverse, the person who conceived this whole thing. And he has a new initiative here uh, to come so that uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff. He is Shadi Torby. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. All right. Uh, so uh, thank you so much. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the Oniverse. It's been, you know, a long time coming in terms of the solo sphere. So on behalf of the solo community, thank you so much for all the joy that you've given us throughout the years. Thank you for playing my games. <laughs> uh, so let's just start at the very beginning. This is the first time that uh, maybe you, this audience has gotten to know, you know, you. Uh, and, you know, there's not too much out there in terms of the, you know, press and everything. So maybe just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and how you came to design Solitaire Games. Okay. Um, so I'm, uh, I live in Brussels with uh, my wife and, and two daughters. Uh, my real job, so to, to speak, is um, I'm an opera singer. Yes. <laughs> um, that's probably why I started uh, designing uh, board games uh, and solitaire board games, because I, I have um, some gaming groups here in Brussels. But obviously, when I'm abroad, when I'm singing abroad, uh, I, I uh, do not always happen to find other gamers. And so I, I started digging a little bit into solitaire uh, gaming. Um, I, I enjoy video games, but not that much. So I really wanted to, you know, play something on, on, on a table, um, right. you know, cards or dice or something. And also, and like realized... as an opera, as, I, I apologize for interrupting, because I've, yeah. I've heard that before about their new opera singer, and that's a heavy touring schedule. So it's not easy to... Some years, yeah. Some years it's, it's very heavy, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Especially, but like, you know, before the before times, before COVID yeah, and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but like, it's not easy to just sit down and play a video game or, you know, some of these other hobbies, but like a solitaire card game is, you know, you know, you could do that between acts if you want to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, this, this is why I actually, I started digging a little bit into it. And um, when I started, it was, um, yeah, more than 10 years ago. And there was not that many, that much choice in, in solitaire gaming. And um, I bought a couple of books over patience you know a solitary card you know the traditional mm. uh, rules with the 52 um traditional card, card uh, set of cards 
And I did not find them very fun. Uh, no theme, usually. And, and the mechanics also were usually um, quite, quite weak. Uh, and so I, I started fantasizing about um, what, could, what could be done, you know, what was possible to, uh, to, what, what was possible to create. And this is how the Oniverse uh, started, actually. And what was the first Oniverse? Was it Onirem? Yeah, actually, I had two ideas the first night. I thought about um, being lost in a labyrinth and having to find, you know, uh, uh, doors and, and being chased by something. Uh, and the other idea was some sort of um, reunion, conclave of good beings and evil beings mm. trying to get a certain balance uh, between them. And so those were the two first games of, of the universe, Onirim and, and, and Urbion Equilibrium. Um, at that time, to be honest, I didn't mm, think of it as uh, as having the same theme or the same setting. I was thinking, okay, those are two possible themes I would like to try to translate into um, uh, into an actual set of rules. Um, and it's it's only a bit later when actually I started, yeah I started thinking about the whole you know connection that were possible that I uh, established that it could be um, part of the same um, universe. Uh, and so uh, Shadi mentioned Equilibrion. So this is Urbion. Yes. Uh, and it used to be called Equilibrion. I believe there was a IP uh, thing yeah. that, that, that caused the, the, re, the renaming. Exactly. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of an Equilibrion anything. So <laughs> I don't know, no, I don't was, know what's it, out there that's called Equilibrion. Yeah, yeah. No, not, it was not actually Equilibrion. It was Equilibrio. And it was a game, I think, with wooden pieces that you had to uh, actually really balance, you mm. know, on top of the other, but it was enough for the, the other company to think uh, there was a danger of confusion. Yeah. And so they, the confusion and they asked mm -hmm. uh, the, the name to be changed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember reading about this too, because uh, you, you mentioned before, these are separate games and you started to conceive of them as the same world. I think that came in coordination with the art. Exactly. Uh, and so maybe tell a little bit, I mean, we're going back people and we're going to work towards the new game, which is Stellarion. So I probably should have said this at the beginning. Uh, we are going to talk about the new game, but towards the end, I, I have Shadi here, so I have to go the whole thing. <laughs> so we're going to go back and, and then we're going to go forward. Uh, so let's go back. Uh, the artist and I'm, I'm going to struggle with the pronunciation. So I'm going to have to have you uh, help me out. Uh, so the artist helped you realize this shared vision. So maybe tell that story a little bit. Yeah, so I met um, I met Elise actually um, I think a couple of years before starting working on the on what would be the universe. Um, at that time, I had a prototype of a game on Opera. This was the first design, and it was not a solitaire game actually. It was a multiplayer game, um, and I went to some um, end of the study. You know, when when you graduate in art school, you have this you know uh, show where you you can you know uh, sh show people what you what you have done. Um, and she was there, and I really loved what what she was you know presenting. And I thought, okay, if ever I I do some a game that is not about opera, that's something more you know dreamlike or more you know children like, I, I will I will ask her to do the art. And I just took her uh, code and, you know, she had a little card, you know, with, with her email address. And that was it. I think we maybe exchanged two words um, back then, just well done. I like it. Oh, thank you. Bye. You know, that, that was it. And then years later, when I had the prototype of Anirim, I, I wrote um, her and I, I, I said, I have a game. Do you want to do the art for it? And at that time, the game was Onirim. 
And the collaboration went really well. And so when I moved to, into the second project, I thought, okay, actually, why have angels and demons, for instance, actually dreams work much better, you know, having positive and negative stuff trying to, you know, reach a certain amount of, of balance. And so, uh, and so we kept on working also on, on, on this project. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. So then you have these two games that you develop. At what point are, do, you, or do you contact Zima or does Z-Man contact you? Because they are the original publishers uh, and wide distributors of both of those products. Exactly. Uh, actually, I have, so I have my prototype that is actually the fi finalized version. Actually, it's a prototype, so to speak, already with Elise's art for the game. So, and, and actually, eventually, it is going to be published as it is. Mm. So, and I'm aware that it, it's, you know, it, it could be presented this way. So, and I go to Essen with the idea of um, founding a publishing house uh, and having Onirim published in French for the French speaking uh, territories and finding partners for you know, non-French speaking territories. Uh, among others, I present the game to Zev Schlesinger, who was the mm -hmm. founder and the head of Z-Man at that time. And he's, um, he's super interested. Uh, he asks me to, to send him a, a prototype. And then I think a couple of weeks later, he, he um, offers me a worldwide contract, you know, an exclusive <laughs> contract for, for Z-Man. So at that time, I thought, okay, it's, it's Z-Man game. You know, it was already, you know, very respected, huge right. publishing house. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to uh, pass on this offer just because I want to do it, you know, for the French territory and find somebody else to do it for just for English. So, so I took the offer and uh, this is how we started publishing, uh, you know, uh, our, our collaboration with, with Z-Man Game. And this was around what, 2010, 2011 yes. around there? Yes, so yes, then I at think. that point, Z-Man, so uh, people who don't know some of the history, I mean, uh, we know Z-Man right now as part of Asmodee. And I see, look, World of Warcraft pandemic, and they have like these big, like, like it wasn't that back then. Like back then, Zev was, it was just Zev, basically his vision. And he was, he's, he's a huge on like quirky out of the box games like that. Like quirky is cool. That's, that's the thing that he'll say a lot. And mm. so it was a kind of a match made in heaven at that point. And, uh, you know, they had big properties. Like I think they had brought over some euros, including Agricola. And they had Pandemic, which at the time was quirky. <laughs> it's not quirky anymore. Uh, but it was at the time in a cooperative game. This was not a thing. So like they were huh. really kind of outside the box. So like to land like in a way at the time, Z-Man was seemed like the perfect home. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, uh, and the, the Universe series. Did you feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I, 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 I went to Essen hoping to, you know, get a meeting with them because I, I thought this is this would be a perfect match. Right. And that's really important because like in terms of folks who are finding publishers for their games, don't just ask any publisher. Like, I mean, get yeah. to know the publishers and see what their catalog is. And it's it, like, this was a perfect match. And that's yeah. what you, you're looking, you're looking for. So then away we go. And if I remember the publishing sequence correctly, like these were both small boxes, right? The Urbion and then Onirim. And it didn't, it didn't have like a bunch of, ex, of mini expansions. And then at some point there was a decision to go the bigger box. And if you're playing, if you're watching the podcast, I'm showing the boxes. So go ahead and watch the video show if you want to do that. Uh, so at some point, a, a, a decision was made to go a little bit, quote unquote, deluxe. 
every game has a meeple. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I know this is a little bit wonky, but I'm very excited. Uh, talk us through the, um, the, like the process of that and the product development that where you go from the little boxes to the deluxe big boxes with the meeple in it. Was that a you call? Was that a, a Z-Man call? Was that a collaboration? How did that work? Actually, after we, we published um, Urbion, the second one, in the small boxes, as you, as you just um, showed, um, Z-Man was bought by Philosophia. Okay. Uh, and Sophie Gravel, who was the boss uh, from the Philosophia at that time. And it became a sort of merge entity uh, F to Z, Philosophia to, uh, to, to Z-Man, um, basically. And so Zev continued working in this, um, in this group uh, and uh, Sophie Gravel was the boss of the, the, the new boss of this, this um, company. And she really liked the, the, those games. And so she, she called me and invited me um, to meet her team. And she said, okay, I heard you have other projects um, in this series. Uh, can you show them to us? And let's see what we do with the whole series. And I think at that time when she invited me, she already had in mind to reboot it, mm. you know, giving them a better looking presentation and adding the, the little meeple. So, so I think this was all Sophie's idea. Mm. We brainstormed all together, Zev, Sophie, her team, Sophie's team, myself, to see in which direction we, we wanted to go. Um, to be perfectly honest, when I started designing the universe, it was not the universe. I just thought it would be cool to have a series of solitaire games, um, you know. Uh, and and I had, as I said, the, the idea of a labyrinth and a conclave of good and evil beings. Um, but then, at the time, Sophie invited me. To put it would be two or three years later, then the whole Oniverse series at that time was developed in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, it had become one series, you know, coherent with the same artist and with the same setting, you know, this dream world that would expand Onirim, you know, in, in different aspects of those. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so I presented them the whole series, the whole line of games that I, I, I wanted to, to, um, to do for, for this. And, and Sophie came with her idea of better looking boxes bigger boxes those meepers and then this is how we we came to have the universe series as we know it today excellent and uh so then the series continues and so like because i mean i remember sylviana castellian came out very quickly like i think they, they it's almost like they were developed not, not together but like simultaneously and i remember reading a designer at the time where it's like okay uh i have some card games and how how far can i like each game represents like a, a take on something. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do tower defense or I'm going to do tower laying. And I'm gonna, so, I mean, at, at what point did you have that idea of like, okay, this can be my lab, so to speak, to explore different mechanisms in each of the games that, did that develop after the, you know, along the way when it, when it was F2Z or did you have that idea cooking a little bit earlier? It was just before the meeting when, when the big F2Z meeting took place, I had, this whole line of, of, of games in my mind, uh, each game being, as you, as you just said, a take on a mechanism. So I wanted each game to be really different. Uh, yeah, and to explore one, one aspect of, I would say, modern gaming mechanism that as sure. we know it uh, today. So yeah, th at that time, the, the idea of a saga was, was already there. Mm -hmm. And there was a rumor that I think 
that 10 games were signed was is that are you free to divulge that number or something or uh actually to be to be totally honest we had uh, we traveled between different numbers okay we never signed a fixed amount mm. of games we always said we are going to take one at the time um and uh, so i had a very specific number in mind at, at that time and it it evolved a bit basically because there were there were there were a couple of games i was not very happy with the two-player version mm. because it's true that i started designing and thinking about imagining the whole series as a one you know, as a solitaire um, uh, series but very quickly in the process i tried to integrate a two-player co-op version for anirim and i did it also for equilibrium urbion um and then it became a part of the series and i always was very happy about how the two-player version developed and so when along the way a couple of games did not have a very satisfying two-player version i preferred to set i decided to mm. put them aside because i never wanted you can read sometimes on the internet people saying i don't want to play this two-player i think it's added it's stacked on it so it's okay to feel this way but it's not how we we work on it we really mm. Take great care on on our two player version, and so when we felt that, when I felt that two of those games had maybe weaker, um, for my in my opinion, weaker two player versions, I decided to to remove them from from the series. So the prototypes still exist. It maybe I will publish them one day as a pure solitaire um, game, uh, but games since it. But um, yeah, I, uh, so yeah, so the number fluctuated a bit, but. I would say all in all, the narrative arc that we wanted at that time is still the same now today. We are still aiming for more or less the same, even if in the meantime we, you know, we moved some, added some, and then we ended up more or less where we uh, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to, you know, to, to be. Uh, because yeah, because as I said, uh, there were a couple of games removed from the original plan, but I had some extra idea that replaced them. So. We, are, we more or less ended up where we, you mm-hmm. know, uh, wanted to be. So is there a narrative? I mean, that um, I know it's the same setting and it could be, you know, I mean, it would be easy to say, okay, this is that corner of the universe, this is this corner of the universe. Uh, and, you know, and I guess I have never noticed <laughs> even my hundreds of plays of the universe that there's a, a narrative, narrative in the sense of like, you know, a story beats, beginning, middle, end, uh, crescendo. I, I, you know, tell us about that because that's something that kind of escaped me or maybe it's just a buried a little bit in the mech, in the guts of the thing. No, you're right. It's difficult. I mean, it's difficult. I remember somebody telling me about their nephew who was a big chess, a big chess fan. He was like six or, you know, five or six years old discovering chess. And apparently the little kid was totally into a story when he was playing chess. You know, he was, oh no, my tower is taking, you know, the, 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 the he's doing this and my foot soldiers. So maybe for us adults, chess is a really, really abstract and, and uh, you know, game, you know, it's mm-hmm. maybe actually the, the, the better example of an abstract game and no for this kid i remember reading on on bgg uh, debate 
um, whether Lost Cities, Reiner Pnitia, Lost City, was an abstract game or not. And somebody said, yeah, it's totally abstract. It's a, the, the team is totally pasted on. And another one said, no, I really feel this, you know, the, the, this, this path toward, you know, discovering this, this big old monuments and having this, um, this bet at the beginning, you know, in your mm-hmm. exploring society, if you are going to reach it or not, and you lose points. If you, so, and so I think those n- narrative, not narrative, it's also what you put yourself into it. I personally do not want to force a story where, for instance, you will have to play this game, then this one, and, and, and this one. Also because I think it's more dreamlike, it's more coherent with the setting if you can come into this universe, into this universe by any door possible. This is also why, because we had this um, thought, do we put numbers on the boxes or not? Because we could have, you know, on, on the side of the box, mm-hmm. just put number one for Nirim, number two for Sylvian. And we decided to go against it because, no, you have to come. So, yes, it is narrative, but I would say like a weird dream is, is mm-hmm. narrative. It tells a story, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily my story that I, I, I want to, to tell. There is nevertheless a beginning and there will be an end. So there is a sort of arc, narrative arc. But as I said, you could shuffle, you know, it and still have, uh, if you want to, and if you want to see it like a pure abstract game, it's it's okay. I did not want to add too much flavor text also and too much. I I, I like those things to be left open, you know, for the the player to fill if if he wants to. What I will say is, like, so I haven't, so I guess I'm not, I'm still an adult playing this thing. I'm in my forties for crying out loud. Um, but I, what I will say though, is especially when, cause I like to play the shuffle together games, right? You know, so, and then there's some people that, that I'll never play the longer games because they're forever and everything. Me, I don't care. Like if you see the videos in the one-stop co-op shop, it is Oni Room with seven expansions. It is Arion with five expansions. It is Notilion with four expansions. Uh, and what I find is with the bigger game, Yes, it's longer. And there's going to be some people that don't like the longer that it's, it, I, I get wrapped up in it. Right. There's enough to where like the meeples moving or something. And like, you know, there's, um, you know, movements in the game. So like you're, you know, an opera singer. So like, and in music, like there's movement. So it's like, okay, this, this beginning part of the game, I'm experiencing this. And then the second part of the game, I've overcome something, but now I'm in the second thing or whatever it is. So I'm, I, it feels like, pretty much all the games have that and was that intentional in terms of the the bigger experiences or did that just kind of emerge happily from having lots of expansions and in included every game yeah i think i think it emerged i think as, as designers we some sometimes have to be humble you know and and think it's actually the same in singing you know because we have this um vision that an artist he has to want to do something in the world but actually <laughs> i think we see as opera singers we sing much better when we just let it flow you know do not intervene too much uh and and, and maybe in game design it's the same things happen you know you guide them and at a certain point it's almost as if the game you are designing um has its own life you know and it's it's it, he the game is taking you where he wants to go not you are you know designer oh i'm taking the game in this direction you know you just have to help it 
maybe a little bit, you know, be, be the better version of, of itself. And then, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, it so happened that you have this, uh, you know, b- bigger game uh, that, that emerges, you know, with. Okay. But I think, I think the better way to go is just to, to, to see where it goes. Right. Not to decide from the beginning, I'm going to do this. This was my mistake when I started designing games and I, I did this, those opera, those game on opera prototypes. They were really bad because I was too ambitious. You know, I was like, I'm going to do a masterpiece of gaming about opera, such a great piece of art, and it's going to be such a great game. And, and the prototypes are not good. You know, I was, I'm too, you know, ambitious, too. I was trying to force it. And then, you know, for the honor I just say, okay, how would this idea work? And then, okay, oh, Okay, and then it, it grows yeah. almost by itself. Right, so. excellent. And, and then adding the expansions, you know, kind of adds more of those layers and everything. Uh, I mean, did that come, I remember uh, hearing an interview where you said like, okay, you would design the game and then you would kind of work backwards. Okay, what's the core of the game, right? And then once you get the core of the game, okay, base game, and then whatever other ideas you had were expansions. Is that the process that you came up with a majority uh, or, or or some level of expansions for individual games? Some, but then also the other way around. I mean, yeah, I go back, so it's it's stripped to its you know basic you know to its core, and then maybe this also helps developing other expansions because mm. suddenly you have a very pure uh, design who calls for other stuff. Maybe if I had stayed with base game plus expansion one or two all put together, I would be, okay, this is good. Let's leave it this way, you know, by stripping it of its extra, then I can see what could be added mm. to it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I suppose, a lot, yeah, a lot of times this happened also. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the game, but yeah. But it's true, having something and then trying to go as as lean as possible, this is something I always do. And sometimes I go back, sometimes I think, no, this is not interesting. This is too lean. I need something extra. I don't want to have at all cost um, six expansions. You know, if I only have four, because actually two are needed in the base game to make the base game really exist, then so, so, so be it. It's, it's yeah. not, yeah. Okay. As okay. I said, the game knows what it needs. I know I sound crazy when I... I love I that. I little, love... No, seriously. Crazy game designer, my games, they speak to me. Mm-hmm. They're outing me. <laughs> no, but you know, you, you get the idea. We, we, yeah. as I said, respect it. It's a little bit like singing. Don't... We, we should not interfere too much. We, we, yeah, I think it's a very Western stuff to put lots of weight into our will and our decisions. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to just, you know, things be. I mean, I feel the same way about my content as a content creator. I feel the same way about I'm a psychotherapist in my real life. You know, I don't come in, you know, I used to come in with like the grand plan, you know, (laughs) you know, here's an eight thing. I'm a a cognitive behavioral therapist, which is very kind of planned Uh out. And I I can't, like I I, I co-op, I have my, like things that my skills that I have, you know, I know generally what I could and can't do, but I can't walk in there going, okay, well, this is today, the self-esteem day, or this is today, the, you know, the day we look at this type of thought today, like, you know, I'll go in and 10 minutes, like something will emerge. It's like, okay, we're going to ride with it. And that's the good stuff. Yeah. But that's where yeah. you can really, I see the smile. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's true. It's exactly this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watch, yeah. watch the video, people. You're going to see a lot of facial expressions and boxes and all that stuff. I never, I, you know, the podcast is great, but like, just hop over to the shelf stories, please. Uh, this is great. Okay. So, um, 
So now we've made a bunch of games, right? We're at six games published in the Oniverse, uh, and Z-Man is continuing to evolve. So Z-Man, uh, F2Z is eventually acquired by Asmodee. And so you can see the company kind of growing up and up and up. And yes. I guess from a, um, a designer perspective, I mean, you're just one person with your own little corner staked out. Uh, did you feel the change there? Was it a little bit, um, I, I don't know, like did the, did your, did you get the feeling that they had the same passion for the Oniverse as, you know, as the company was changing or did that change a little bit? It's hard to say. I mean, I was in contact with Stephen Kimball, who was the head of Z-Man at, at the time, just after, as you said, um, uh, uh, Z-Man and Philosophia was bought by Asmodee. And he, I mean, he uh, is a very enthusiastic uh, person who loves games. I, I did not absolutely not have the feeling that suddenly I was talking to corporate people who did not care at all about games and were just thinking about the bottom line, not at all, you know, because this is, obviously this would be a very good story to tell, you know, oh, I was, you know, at Z-Man when it was a small company, then it got bought by evil Asmodee and those are evil corporate people. <laughs> but it's not true. You and know, there are some people pressure. that tell that exact story. So like, you know, with Fantasy Flight as an example, like Fantasy Flight, you know, they they were doing, you know, a Cosmic Encounter and all these like games. And then they, they get acquired and the, the, the wheels of commerce churn. And then we get the fifth, Cthulhu game and the, and you know mm -hmm. it, it becomes very like okay what will sell so I mean it's good to know that it that didn't happen across the board like there was still an instinct to make great games I did not feel it maybe eventually this is what happened but I mean the person I was I had the most contact with which was Stephen you know and and uh, did not give me this impression so and so we worked together on Arion which was the last game you know Arian. we did this with Zeman. And the collaboration went collaboration went really well. I mean, we got along well. The, uh, we were happy about the product. The, the game was very well received. The reviews were good. The sales, the numbers were good. So, um, so the only uh, stuff to be perfectly honest, you asked me if I could, you know, say honestly about what if I had signed an NDA. I did not. So I can tell you honestly, my only the only you know big difference that I I felt is that everything took more time. So yeah. In this aspect, I felt that I was in a much bigger company. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not just one guy, Zev Schlesinger, who could decide in 10 days after receiving a prototype, I'm doing this, here's the contract, you know, sign it, we are in business. Um, and with Sophie, it was almost as fast. It was a bigger team uh, than with Zev, but still, you know, the decision was centralized. It was, you know, one people calling the shots and it, the decision were quite fast. It was a little bit slower, you know. And with Asmodee, things were much slower sure. because Stephen, I don't think, had could decide everything on his own. He could take obviously decisions, but he had to, you know, refer to, you know, higher powers and it was a bigger organization. So, yeah. So, and this maybe, yeah, plus, yeah, maybe some other, but, but it's hard to really put words on, on this. Um, I described it, um, you know, in an article, like feeling like an independent movie maker being in a big studio, sure. you know, like suddenly, you know, um, yeah, you do, you do independent movies and suddenly your company is bought by Marvel Studios, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay, you work with those people and probably a lot of people at Marvel Studios are totally passionate about movie making and about, you know, superheroes and stuff, but still it's a very huge structure, you know? And so, yeah, if, if 
something did not feel right, I would say it's more this mm-hmm. than you know being surrounded by evil corporate. This I did yeah. I did not have this feeling. You know, yeah, I didn't I have mean, a I, I can... of being surrounded by evil corporate, but I had the feeling that I was maybe in a very, very, very big machine. Now yeah. maybe a bit too big for for the for the series. Yeah, I think like, because I'm also, I'm a cultural consultant and I'm working with a big company. I, I, this is an NDA, so I can't really reveal it. And I can tell, I, and I can resonate with that. These are great people and they, they love games, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> and yeah. and there are at different levels of a company. So it's like you have, you know, like you have your art people, but there's an art team. So it's like, you know, you have your artists that you work with at least, but then it has to go through these checks and it's like okay this department has to see it and then if this person has a problem then they have to wait until that person sees it da, da, da. and it's like you know there's just a lot of chefs in these kitchens and the it comes out because like the distribution is amazing like you get you know, these games can reach all over the world so it's a you know when you when you're indie you you make solid products but they the distribution is a little bit difficult and these bigger companies they they don't care uh, having said that though uh, Z-Man was really famous at some point. And this is, I'm talking from the solo community. Uh, Oni Room was almost never in print. <laughs> as soon as, it, as soon as Oni Room showed up, zoop, <laughs> it was such a struggle to keep Oni, to Oni Room, especially Oni Room in print. I think you could get the other ones, but this one was kind of the seminal one. I don't know if you, I don't know if you felt that. I don't know if it worked out in the same in different countries, but at least in America, Oni Room was hard to get for a long time. <laughs> was that something that you encountered? Yes, yes. And especially when they launched the app, there was not a really good coordination around mm. the launch of the app. And so it, it went through, sold out immediately. And then we were like, it was a bit frustrating because, you know, we had a great, you know, uh, the app obviously is a great advertising tool. Also, sure. I mean, I love the app. I think it's well done. But uh, besides it being well done, it's also a good tool to promote a game. And at the time, we did not have a lot of physical copies in store. So it was a bit like, oh, this is a missed occasion. So... Yeah. yeah, I love that app, and they should have released all the expansions. They 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 stopped after three, and I would have loved to have seen all of them. But yeah, yeah. that's the way it goes. Okay, uh, so then at some point, and this I don't I don't know, and I don't I don't know the story at all. But I was looking for some information on it. Uh, at some point, there is a decision to open your own publishing house. So we call it Inpatience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because actually, the decision um, came from Z Men. They told me we are not going to continue the series. Okay. So the, the sales were good, the reviews were good, but we are interested in developing other projects that could aim for other type of numbers than, right. than what you, 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 you can deliver very um, consistent numbers, you know, very stable, but we, we want to invest into something else. Mm-hmm. And we think you would be better off, you know, with a smaller publishing um, company, which, as I said, did not come as a huge shock. I mean, I was obviously a bit surprised because we did very well with Arion. But as I said, my feeling of being, you know, maybe in a structure that was a little bit too big, um, as you said, a lot of great, a lot of great people, but a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I was a bit surprised, but not shocked by, by the decision. And uh, they were very nice. They told me we know other publishing houses, uh, smaller ones that would be so happy to have your series. You know, we can, you know, make the presentation, you know, the introductions. Oh, wow. And then and then, almost right away, I thought, okay, no, but maybe this is the time to eventually do the project I had from the beginning of the Universe series is to open my own uh, uh, publishing house. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I did. And this is how Impatience came to be. And they did they transfer the rights to all the games back to you? Because that doesn't always happen. 
You know, sometimes they exactly. keep like if it's a it's a hot seller, they'll keep one or two. So like Plat Hat also separated from Z-Man because they went to their own thing, but they kept that a winter and they kept some of the bigger IP. And and um, I think uh, Plat Hat is trying to like reboot a little bit with their own stuff. So did that happen? Was there a discussion about that? Was it easy? How did it go? It was not super easy, but I must say, and this is also another chapter of evil corporate that we will not <laughs> tell today. Because it was not evil. They because my, my there, there 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 was a risk that they would sit on Onirim because right. obviously it was a good seller, and then you can take uh, the other bags, which would have compromised a bit. I mean, obviously the mechanics you can Absolutely. always transpose, you can always retheme, you can always, but it would somehow um, destroy the series. Yes. You know, you would have had Onirim, and then I I mean, you know, continue with the other titles. It would have been weird retheming them. Yeah, probably this would have been the better solution, but it would have been a pity because it was still considered, you know, as a whole, you know, as I said, a whole gaming saga and they did not do this. So I must say they have been also gentlemen about uh, this is why we are not going to write a chapter of, you know, on how <laughs> evil the corporate always is because they were not evil in this case. They, you know, um, they, they uh, you know, uh, sold me, you know, the whole package for a fair price. So mm -hmm. it was not, it was not, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So it, it was a very honest deal and I was able to, you know, keep the series alive as a whole and not just, you know, having to re-tinker the whole stuff together. That gives me faith in humanity. I'll tell you that right yeah. now. <laughs> it isn't all just corp uh, uh, capitalism grinds everybody down. Uh, you know, that we can get something new emerging. So let's talk about the new. I mean, you said that, uh, you know, like launching a publishing studio is an undertaking. Like that is not easy because you have to, I mean, you could say, okay, I can make games, I can design games, but like that now you're entering into production and distribution. And, and I, you know, is that something where it's like, you've been preparing the last 10 years for this because you've been exposed to something? Uh, <laughs> how, how is that all kind of coming together? Just very partly, I would say, obviously I was exposed a bit, uh, you know, just watching how, I wanted to say my publishers, it was only one publishing house, but as we said at the beginning of this interview, it went through different stages. Right. So I saw more or less how a one person operation would work with Zev, then I saw how a family business would work with Sophie, and then how a big, big corporation uh, could, could, could function. Um, so yes, but there were obviously loads of stuff I didn't know at all. And so I, I, I mean, the best comparison I could give, it's like a legacy game. You know more or less what is your final goal is, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. but then you keep opening envelopes, you know, and, and, and having new rules that you have to learn. Uh, but it's been a very fun ride until until now. But it's true. You have to learn lots of new new stuff. You know some bits and then new bits come come along basically all the time. So. And so, uh, and so, tell us about the vision for Impatience. I mean, is it the Oniverse publisher? Will there be more games? Is it? Uh, and and I think the, what people want to know is like, I mean, reprints. You know, are we going to get new printings of the older titles? Okay, so it is going to be the house of the Oniverse, but not only. Mm -hmm. And it is not going to be the house of Shadi Tobey's games. Because um, I, I already signed two design by other game designers. I'm very proud and very excited about those. Um, what we are going to do in general is, as the name Impatience hints to, 
we all of our, our of our games are going to be playable as solitaire games sure. but not only for instance for the moment we do not have any game plan that will be only a solitaire game we do not exclude it we will do it eventually you know games that are only for one player uh, so far we only have solo plus co-op games plan but so i mean what, what will be um the, the common uh trait to all of our games they can be played solo this we, we will never see a game that starts with two or three or four players you know it will always be one two something you know only mm -hmm. one player this will be you know our, our philosophy in in publishing and mm -hmm. uh, branding so this this will be it so and yes we, we get will, and we reprints will, reprints yeah reprints Obviously, so we are starting this year by reprinting all the Oniverse games, you know, with our new label, with our new uh, brand. And we are going with, uh, to start with Stellarion, which is number six or uh, seven if you count Urbion. But actually, Urbion is coming back, you know. So this is the um, second part of reprints. When you say reprints, is we are going to reprint all the already published games in this bigger box you showed. Mm -hmm. um, and as for Urbion, who had never was never republished into this bigger uh, box game uh, size, it will come. We plan it in two years. So actually, what we plan is to have one universe game each year. Mm. So this year in uh, 22, we will have Stellarion. Next year, we will have another game, and then the year after, we will have Urbion. Mm. So so this is the plan. And uh, we also plan to have each year another game that would not be a non-averse game and that would not be designed by me. So this is the, this is the plan for the those are the plans for the future. It's a very I mean a very exciting. I think you always get that question every once in a while. They'll, they'll uh, post on BGG. Okay, are we going to get the second printing of Urbion? And at one point, Z-Man came into one of the forums. They're like, we're not doing this. <laughs> that is not <laughs> happening. <laughs> It's like, all right, then. So then when I heard about the new studio, I'm like, okay, we're, we're, we're actually getting one and we have confirmation. That's great. Uh, okay, so the people want to know about Stellarian. Uh, there's not much on the BGD page. It says deck management. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, deck so is the Oniverse returning to its kind of um, deck of cards roots with Stellarian? Yes and no. Actually, Stellarian, um, I would say, as I said, at the beginning when I, I, I was thinking about the whole series of the Oniverse, I wanted each game to be a take on a particular game mechanism. So and so that we would have never have two games that are the same. Right. And actually, maybe there is a little uh, exception between Stellarian and Aarian. There are two very different games, but they have a big part of their DNA. They share a big part of their DNA. And I, I will explain now how and, and why. The basic idea behind Arian was to do a dice game. Yahtzee. Yeah, Arian exactly. yeah, exactly. is Yahtzee, a Yahtzee with cards, yeah. Exactly. But unlike lots of Yahtzee-like games, usually the Yahtzee-like games where you have to have dice combinations, they give you free rerolls. Because mm -hmm. obviously when one roll, I mean, if you play... Um, the castles of Burgundy, you don't have any rewards, you just roll, but it's okay because you don't try to have combinations. You can do something with your dice, even if it's not what you wanted, you can always find a way around. So there, there, there would be no point in having rerolls in castles of Burgundy. Actually, it would defeat the purpose of the game. The purpose of the right. game is, okay, I got this roll, what can I do? So usually in the Yahtzee style games, you have to have rerolls because mm -hmm. otherwise you roll once and then you're, oh, okay, I didn't get what I want. Mm, bad luck, that's it. So, right. And I wanted to do, it's 
almost as borderline sadistic to do a game <laughs> where you would have to have Yahtzee combinations with no free rerolls, but wow. you would pay your rerolls by discarding precisely the cards that your dice results allow you to take. And that's it, basically. You know, you mm-hmm. aim to get, you know, so you aim for certain dice results in order to buy cards mm-hmm. with your dice result. But if you want to re-roll, you have to discard precisely cards from the display, you know, cards that you want to acquire. So sure. I, and I was, um, I was hoping that with this kind of, you know, uh, not, you know, a contradictory, you know, desire, oh, I need this roll, I, I need to, to re-roll, I need to discard, I would have a game with, with fun um, decisions, you know, and, and hard dilemmas. And this is basically what I, I, I got. But along the way and very quickly in the process, I thought it is not, it would not be good to have all the cards shuffled into one deck because if the display of the cards is random, if you add this randomness to the randomness of the dice, you will have a totally random game sometimes and a really frustrating one. Right. So I thought, okay, to, to um, avoid this, I will divide the resources, the cards, you know, into predetermined decks. So you know exactly the content of each deck at the beginning, and it's the same in each in each game of Arian. Uh, obviously, the cards do not come up in the same order, and, and obviously the dice, so you have enough randomness, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And while testing the game, I realized actually that managing those decks was a huge part of the game. It was obviously a dice game. This is what I had planned, and this is what the game had become. It is a dice game, but with an element of what I would, what I call deck management. You know, because you have those decks, various decks, and you have mm-hmm. to manage all those. And so the next step was: okay, how would this work without any dice? Can I do a game that is a pure deck management game? And this is how Stellarion was, was born, mm-hmm. replacing actually one of those games that did not have a satisfying two-player uh, version I was uh, talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, and so in Stellarion, you have eight decks instead of six. You need more decks since you don't have the dice you know, element. And, um, and now you're, you only play with the top card of each deck. So either you have the combinations you need to get to the victory, uh, or you don't have, and then you can discard pairs of cards to trigger effects that may give you the cards you need. But obviously, by discarding those cards, you remove resources that would be that also could be helpful, you know, to get them to to the to the victory. So I I have a dilemma that is we have a dilemma that is um, somehow similar to this of uh, you have in Arian to the mm-hmm. dilemma you have in Arian, but concentrated really on the decks of cards. Hmm. And are the decks like laid out? So you have yes. like piles and piles of decks, and you have eight, eight okay. decks, eight decks, yeah. and then you're working through and you know bringing order from chaos and using your powers and all that kind of thing. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And Stellarion being like uh, outer space, I, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 in the observatory. So the observatory we know from Onirim. Right. It's one of the four rooms. And so it all happens in the observatory. You have to make uh, voyages into the galaxies of the universe, and a voyage needs four different cards that you will have on top of the, the decks. Uh, you know, so so to go into a galaxy, let's say Galaxy Alpha, you need a ship that goes into there, and then you have to triangulate your destination by having stars, planets, and nebula 
of this galaxy. So you need those four cards. And if you don't have them, then you must do the discard two cards of the same type, for instance, two ships to get a card you want, you know, from the deck. And so this is how you try to build up your series of four cards for different cards of the same galaxy to go into uh, one mm -hmm. of those galaxies. And this isn't Kickstarter, like this is going to retail, right? Just yeah. straight to retail? Well, well tell me tell me about the decision behind that because that seems to be the obvious thing is to kickstart because of the, you know, you get the upfront funding and you get the, you know, the the um the advertising, you know, because Kickstarter is a platform, and everything. Tell us about the decision to just, you know, go straight to retail. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit too old school. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a bit of a romantic vision, but I have the feeling that you know people. Uh, maybe maybe the the stores, the real you know the real life stores helped. Also, the universe exists. You know, yes. by promoting it, by yes. uh, you know having having it uh, having those games on their shelves. Uh, and, and it's a great uh, display. Like I mean, because you because usually it'll be a section with a bunch of them together, yeah, and like together yeah, yeah. they they form a nice little panorama just visually. And so, and so, in this case, I, I wanted to, you know, to support the local, the friendly local game stores, and um, uh, then, yeah, I mean, it it is also a series. I mean, people have proven faithful to the series, mm -hmm. so I, I hope they will keep, you know, being faithful to it. So maybe I I, I did not feel that I needed to, you know, to have to to bypass the stores and and. Uh, you know, and the regular customers of the stores because they were faithful to the previous chapters of the of the series. Um, yeah, this this is the the decision be behind it. Then, to be honest, it's also not. I mean, there there, there are if if you know those games, you open those boxes. You know, there is there is game components in in it. Sure. So it's it's not cheap to produce, but it also it's also not games with ton of minis. Uh, and and so uh, maybe it's not really justified. Also, if one day Impatience has a huge game to produce and it's not viable through uh, traditional distribution, I'm not saying I don't ever want to do a Kickstarter in my life. But why, if you can, you know, if you can just do it the regular way and, as I said, support the stores, allow them to have those games on display, allow people to discover it also. Absolutely. They will not go necessarily on the, on the internet because also if you think it's maybe a little bit abstract now what I'm saying, but on the more, um, how, how can I say, on the cons consistency of the, uh, of the philosophy behind it. I mean, those are solitaire or two-player games, real games. So you don't play on a computer, you don't play on your phone. So you play in real life. So you go to a real store to mm -hmm. get those games, you know, not necessarily on the internet. Maybe there's something also there. It's, mm -hmm. it's maybe more consistent not to buy on the internet, you know, uh, to create on the internet a game that you will end up playing on your table. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's how, is, yeah, so. that's how the entire line has gone. I mean, the, the, the entire line has been direct to retail and, you know, there's no reason why you, I mean, it just, it's just one of those things where it's like new publishing house and, you know, maybe a new vision, but it's like, no, we're sticking with the old vision. This is what worked for the universe. And this is how we're going to do for the foreseeable future. And it sounds like, you know, one game a year. So it's like, we got Solarian, we're getting Urbian eventually. I won't ask about the future games because no one ever tells me. <laughs> You'll tell us when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, um, I, I'll, maybe I'll ask it in general. Uh, are there uh, mechanisms that you haven't explored yet that 
we could possibly look forward to. So we've gotten roll and move, like the advanced roll and move of, of Notillion. We got tiling. We got the Yahtzee style. We're getting deck management. Is there a, you know, deck building, work replacement? Are there any uh, mechanisms that call to you that we might possibly look forward to in the universe? Or do you, can you not even answer that one? No, I can answer that one. Uh, one of the games that, that was uh, removed from the series, uh, I, I tried to have a twist on worker placement. Okay. So this we are not going to see. So what are we going to have? Uh, there will be a little bit of development. Let, let's say this engine, a little bit of it. Uh, and then there is going to be, I was uh, mentioning chess uh, some, somewhere in the interview. So I would say more abstract uh, you know, uh, something sure. more, but absolutely not a very good tell. Uh, how do you, there, there isn't, uh, you know, more those spa spatial, you know, uh, stuff. There is going to be, this This is one of the stuff that are, that are planned. Nice. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and to be perfectly honest, actually, you will have all the information. I mean, in the box of, of Stellarion, we have um, added a little uh, catalog that, that uh, you know, a little, uh, how do you say it? A little uh, advertising uh, booklet that will show exactly where we want to go. So oh, it's, okay. it's going to be very long before actually it, it is made public exactly how many games we are planning to, to have in the series. Mm -hmm. uh, so before, before it's uh, the end of the, of the series. All right, so you got a long road to hoe, and uh, I know a lot of our artists could be very, very excited to come along on the journey. Uh, and then you have other games as well. Um, is uh, a, the game by Morton Monrad Pedersen? Is that the one of the games that you were looking at? So Absolutely. It, it is a game that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> uh, it's 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 from uh, I think is um, Danish lore or you know Scandinavian lore or something like that. Absolutely, it's Danish. It's very specific Danish lore. The game is called Skoven Tear. Skoven too. Uh, okay. It's, it's because we, we found uh, the name. It's it's Skoven is the forest in in, in Danish, and Eventyr is the fairy tale or the folk tale. And Skoventyr is a word that does not exist, but it was made combining those those two words. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we're very excited about this. Is a one uh, uh, co-op uh, multiplayer solitaire multiplayer co-op cooperative game that, uh, as, as, as you hinted to, it's the lore is the Danish folklore, but the authentic. Then it's not Anderson Tales. I love Anderson Tales, but those are, yeah. those are a reworking, a more elaborate, you know, a more more cultivated a reworking of, of an invention. Also, because Anderson invented some some stuff. But for the for this one, for the theme of this game, we really went to the really the, the, the testimony of four people telling them as they were transcribed by scholars who were, you know, uh, walking through the, the you know, uh, mm -hmm. the country and, and, and writing those, those four days. So, uh, yeah. And in, in the interest of full disclosure for everybody, I was consulted by Morton on that game to check some of the religious aspects. Okay. Uh, because you have to be pretty careful. And nowadays, you know, what you're saying, you know, uh, if someone has like, you know, some Christian background or different backgrounds. And so uh, Morton and I are working uh, together on this and you've helped me pronounce the name. Hopefully I'll remember the pronunciation. <laughs> but it's interesting that you were speaking about the, the religious aspect, because obviously all the people, they were living in a very religious environment, you know, all the people in the 19th century, uh, you know, and before, uh, but what it's interesting also how they used all those elements. Sure, so maybe sure. because it was their everyday life, 
they, they, they could maybe allow themselves some, some freedom, you know, speaking about churches that were haunted or cursed and stuff like this, that could appear shocking for us, uh, exactly as how we read, you know, uh, when we read in um, what people were writing in the Middle Ages about uh, monks that were, you know, having adventures with women and eating and stuff, but it was so... Uh, near to them, the religious, mm -hmm. uh, the religion at that time, that for them it was okay to joke about it. Obviously, uh, being you know more distant from this, it could uh, appear shocking, you know, or disrespectful for, right. for for people, you know, in our century. So yeah, it is it is actually a um, element that we have to handle carefully. Yep. Uh, and that's uh, that's going to be my role is to and yeah, I'm yeah. working with Martin to do that. So because I'm also I'm a um, master of, of a theological studies, I have a master's in religion. So uh, I'm pretty uh, up on this stuff. I'm very excited. Very excited. Very excited. <laughs> I can't believe I spoke for an hour with Shadi Tarman. This is amazing. Uh, <laughs> so I, 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 we're looking forward to it. So we have Slarian coming. We have more from Inpatience, which is a its own publishing studio. The plan is to continue going. And we don't know when the show, I, you may know in the back of your mind when the universe is going to end, but we don't know. We're going to keep that as a surprise because we're going to- But you will know very soon. soon. You, you will know very soon, as soon as you open a box, actually a box of Stellarion or, or a box of any of the republished, uh, you know, reprinted uh, Omniverse games, you will see the booklet tells not everything, but gives already a lot of information. Mm, okay. Uh, actually, I should ask this uh, in closing because uh, it, I get a little nervous when there's a reprint because are you going to change any of the mechanisms? Do I need to buy the, the, the new versions or am I good with the Z-Man version? No, this is really something I did not want to do, uh, okay. to force people to, to buy it. So the only thing we have changed is we added a little variant for the little um, figure of the evil guy in Onirium. Okay. But this we will make available either on the website on our, on our uh, Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You know, we will never force anybody to rebuy a game just for, you know, uh, a variant like, like, uh, like this. We were thinking actually of integrating the, the goodies expansions that were not mm -hmm. available into the boxes. And eventually we did not do it. One of the points against it was this. We would then force people to buy a whole game again just right. for two goodies or one, you know, Onirium and Sylvian. And this could be interpreted the wrong way. Right. So we are still trying to figure out a way to make those expansions available, uh, easily available, especially right. for people who live outside the States, because you could order them. Maybe you can still from Siemens website, but if you were living in Europe, it was much more expensive to do it. So we are trying to find a way to, to um, make them available, but no, basically, except the logo and some very minor changes in some, you know, formulation for consistency and, and stuff like this, those boxes, if you have them, you can, you know, hold on to, to them. You don't have to, to buy them from us again. Yes, they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> Shadi Torbay, thank you so, so much for joining me for this hour. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.